This is Alex Kosciuk, and you're listening to Paper Cuts. Hi, Alex. Thanks for joining me on Paper Cuts. I'm really excited to be talking with you. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, you're in Chicago now. I and am. <laughs> just to mark this by, by time, this is uh, June either 1st or 2nd, depending on where you and I are geographically. Um, and the pandemic is still happening. It is still a thing uh, that's affected all of us dramatically this past year. And I just wanted to check in and see like, how you are doing in this, pre in this previous year in Chicago. And if you've been in Chicago the entire time, uh, what, what, is, what has your life been like for the past few months? So it's been, well, I think everyone probably experienced a little bit of a roller coaster at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, just grappling with a kind of new reality. <laughs> yeah. I've been in Chicago pretty much the entire time. I went home for a couple of weeks. Um, home is in New York um, to see my family for the holidays. Wow. In December. And uh, especially because we have a long, a nice long break between, um, between semesters and also at the gallery where I work. So I was able to, to go home and spend time with family. And I hadn't seen them all year, which it's really yeah. you know, never really happens. <laughs> um, but I think, I think now that things have, uh, now that people are getting vaccinated and I've also gotten, I've been fully vaccinated. Uh, oh, not right. that, yeah, not that it's like over, of, of course it's not, but um, yeah. a lot of like, a little bit of a, of a breath here, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm sure that's a huge relief. And I'm really glad that you were able to see your family uh, in between semesters. Yeah, I was, um, I was, it wasn't clear whether it was going to happen or not. Um, and yeah. my family actually decided to just drive to Chicago up, <laughs> <laughs> rather than have me go on an airplane. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. It was commitment from them. Yeah. <laughs> my mom really wanted to see me. Yeah. Well, at the end of that road trip, did you still really miss everyone or were you just, cause that's quite a, that's quite a drive from Chicago to New York. It was, it was good. It was, it was actually a really great visit. I, I spent a lot of time, especially with my cousins whom I also hadn't seen in so long. I had to bring my cats with me, both my yeah. cats. It's a long drive for two cats, <laughs> um, both ways. So it was definitely a little bit of an adventure on the, on the road trip. And where in New York is your family living? Um, my mom lives in Yonkers. Um, I grew up in the Bronx and my grandfather and my uncle actually still live there. So, oh, that's great. So did you get head into the Bronx as well or were you just in Yonkers? I stayed in Yonkers with my mom pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it, was my it was the rest of my family that came out to see me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me spend some time here. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, you know, I got to know you and your work through our book fairs, primarily in Chicago, and just being like completely stunned with your comic based work and your approach to book arts. And I was wondering, like, when you were growing up in Yonkers, did you have an interest in, in comics and in artwork? Yeah, I mean, I think comics, in retrospect, makes 
complete sense. Like the whole trajectory of my life feels like it makes complete sense. Um, I loved reading and I always loved drawing, um, you know, ever since I was a kid. Yeah. And I even remember upsetting my mom because you know how sometimes they've got those blank pages at the end of a book because the signatures uh -huh. um, haven't, you know, the, there's just spare pages at the back. I would tear those out to draw on them. <laughs> <laughs> I only did it a few times because when my mom realized what I was doing, I remember her getting pretty upset. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so, but my interest in comics when I was a kid was mostly in like X-Men, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and I did a lot of kind of drawing of cartoons that I was watching um, and reading books like The NeverEnding Story. I think, I think that one sticks out in my mind perhaps the most because it does that thing where it blurs the line between reality and fiction and that just ended up being something that I was interested have always been interested in um, and I think that 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 basically has ultimately fed into the way that I think of the book form you know having some quality of it that's a little bit more participatory or interactive is a little bit of that blurring between reality and the world within the book yeah, and the way that you're handling the, the book structures, like even that the gesture of having different sides of paper within the same signature, different things that can fold out, like those are those are different realities that can also spill out into our own world that we're then confronted with. Yeah, definitely definitely. I mean, I, I think um, thinking about how the page size actually matches up with the story, you know, how if you've got a smaller page size, you have a more intimate reading experience, right? Like you have to be a little bit closer to it. And it's something that um, that you can hold in your hand. So it might feel a little more kind of just close to you, a little more personal um, versus something that is larger or that seems to keep folding out and how that might have, you know, all these opportunities to to surprise you are in yeah. are in. Um so hey, I I want to go back to you as a child tearing out pages from books because I, I love that detail and I hope that somewhere there are uh, drawings by young Alex on these papers some that exist and are saved and I hope that those books are still in someone's family house. They're probably honestly in my family house. <laughs> we, we don't get rid of, of anything that has pages honestly. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a wonderful artifact uh, to have like that childhood book, book that is marked in that way. Yeah. Um, were you, as a child, were you really encouraged to follow your artistic instincts? Like, did you take drawing classes or writing courses? Yes. <laughs> it was a little bit <laughs> of a, when I was on my way to college, actually. Um, okay. I think, um, so my family is, uh, Filipino and not to be completely stereotypical but my mom is a career nurse <laughs> and that is very like you know if you have a family member who is a nurse they're going to tell you you should go into nursing it's job security you don't have to work every day of the week you'll start out with like sixty thousand dollars annually and just go up from you know like she really made that argument to me because I and I still remember I was about to, to leave for college like it was probably a few weeks before and um, she was like what are you going to 
study as if she didn't know, right? Like I had taken, <laughs> taken all the English classes in high school. I'd been doing creative, right? I mean, I'd been like writing little stories. And when I was a kid, I thought I was gonna be a, this great novelist. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I'm gonna do English literature. And, um, and she, was, she was alarmed. I mean, she was mostly just concerned, right? What am I gonna do with an English degree? Um, but, but she also, she also understands, um, maybe even more sometimes than I give her credit for that what I, what I, when I have set my mind to do something, it's really up to me to do it. She can't, she can only give me her advice, right? She's that kind of parent. Like, she'll give me her advice. She'll really, really want me to take her advice, but she also will give up at a certain point. <laughs> So um, yeah, so so I knew I wanted to go into English lit. I, I knew I was interested in in art as well, but I think I had this vision of myself as entering the publishing industry, um, and also just with a little bit of a mind to like stability and not really ever having met or gotten to know a working professional artist, right? So that was a little more intimidating. And then I, um, for my undergrad, I, I went to U Chicago, which at the time um, didn't have a department of visual arts. They had a committee of visual arts. Oh. And I think, yeah, committee <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't have enough faculty, full-time faculty to count as a department. Um, and I still remember when I got there, I think the second quarter that I was there, they called them, they started calling themselves a department, but they, they couldn't technically claim the term for like another year or so. Um, and of course now UChicago has like a beautiful um, arts building. They've really built up that department um, and they did all of that after I graduated. So, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, but, but I did end up doing a minor in visual art um, and I had some great, some great professors. Um, and I actually, especially really, love taking the figure drawing and the drawing classes. I think that those were the ones that I, I suddenly understood drawing in a completely different way. Um, where it, it's not just drawing to capture the way that something looks or to try to convey the way that something, um, the way that something looks, but it's also a, a record of mark making or a record yeah. of just, and when I started thinking about it that way, is so much more exciting <laughs> than it had been in a long time. Not that I didn't enjoy it already, but um, just opened up to me what what that medium could look could be could produce. Yeah, like that moment where you're becoming very interested and like delighted by the marks you're putting down on paper and seeing how that can just like transform the image and how you're relating to it is really pretty wonderful. Yeah, yeah, and I. And I Oh, go on. Sorry. Oh, no, I was going to ask, like, uh, so in college, is, is you're studying literature, you're able to still take art classes and working with a committee. And the, uh, um, at that point, were you already combining images and pictures or are you doing this uh, just kind of by yourself before before college? And I ask more because like at, in school, there's not always structures uh, to allow you to do things that are like outside of the prompt or outside of the assignment. 
yeah. so how much room you had. That wasn't really something I started to do until after college. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people who draw um, or have drawn since they were a kid probably have this, the same or a similar experience where they might be drawing and telling themselves a story about what it is that they're drawing as they do that. I did that all the time, right? So yeah. those two things were already, were already coming together, but actually combining the two in my work didn't happen until um, I, so I, after college, I was living with some friends um, who had also gone to, whom I had gone to school with. And um, one of them got really into comics and he had pulled up a bunch of different lists that were like the hundred comics to read before you die, right? Or something <laughs> along those lines. And so he was constantly bringing things into the apartment and I would read them. Um, and I, I had enjoyed them, of course, but I, I hadn't really seen the, the different things that they could do outside of the more cartoonish or the more um, superhero fo focused. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, yeah, so that's when I, I remember reading, um, I mean, I, I had seen, I guess I had seen some of that in college now that I think about it. My first exposure was, was to blankets and, um, and mouse, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and with mouse, I actually read it for a post-war U.S. literature class. And oh, the wow. professor, who I'm, I think is, I think her name was Deborah Nelson, but she did such a great job of talking about the way that the panels in Mouse overlap with each other and how that distinguishes the two different time frames in which the story is being told. So not just Art Spiegelman talking with his dad, but that might be in the background um, or like in the gutters and then in the panels will be what his dad is recounting of his experiences in the Holocaust. And when she started talking about the, the structure of comics, um, the structure of the layout, and I was, it was, it was another one of those like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the layering is just awesome. So, so there was that, um, but okay. So then I was kind of voraciously reading all of these things that my friend was bringing in. And um, among them was Alison Bechdel's um, Fun Home. Yeah. And yeah, and that's a, it's a classic. It's, it's a wonderful, um, just like look at how she understood her identity as a lesbian and the juxtaposition with her father's identity too, um, which I guess I won't say more about just in case people haven't read it and would love to read it. <laughs> And Alison Bechdel is also notorious for um, being a very wordy cartoonist, right? She's got yeah. a lot of time there. Um, so I think it was, it was a nice balance for me to see. Okay, so the first time that I really started to create comics was because Alison Bechdel and Hilary Shute were co-teaching a class at UChicago. Oh, wow. And I had graduated, but I was working in the Department um, of Art History as a department assistant. And uh, it was, you had to apply to get in. They had a couple of spots open. I went for it and I managed to take that class and it was great. <laughs> oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. It was such a privilege, really. Like, I can't believe that I, 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 I don't know where I would have, I don't know what would have happened. I feel like my life would be different if I hadn't taken that class. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and I, that's also when I, I, I think that was my first real um, time making zines um, or like okay. the pamphlet and the satisfaction of having this like finished book. Um, so I, I had been doing that and I had, I think either just before or just after that, I had also taken a class at um, Sputnik Press here in Chicago, which is like a community print making arts center. Um, it's a fantastic place. And I was taking a, a woodcutting class slash artist book class. And that was another chance for me to, I, I, I experimented with the accordion fold for that. And because I'm me and I kind of, sometimes I have a tendency to go bigger, go home. I didn't do your regular accordion fold. I like <laughs> cut it off into your face. It had doors that opened up, like weird flaps oh, wow. where you them. Um, but yeah, I think those two things really reminded me too how much I, I miss um, learning and also kind of made me realize what it was I would want to focus on if I went back to school. Um, and I also, I had been doing a little more graphic design within my job. And um, so that's when I decided uh, shortly after that, that I would go to, that I wanted to go to grad school. That's an incredible like growth period. It, that in between undergrad and grad school, it seems like all those things happening at once, uh, like allowed or afforded you the opportunity to play around with things you hadn't had the chance to play around with before. Yeah, I, I, I think it probably sounds like it happened all at once in my in my memory. It like was really staggered over a long period of time. Well, I guess that's a good way to say like how how long did you spend uh, working in Chicago between undergrad and grad school? Um, so I ended up taking five years between undergrad and grad school. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's right. And um, it was partly because when I when I graduated from college, it was 2009. So that was um, the recession. And there weren't really jobs, especially not for English majors. <laughs> so my mom actually was kind of right about that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um so yeah so when I graduated I ended up taking a kind of a series of temp jobs and freelance jobs and um I had moved home for a little while then I moved back to Chicago and then I got this full-time position working at at UChicago in the art history department and then I think you know once I had that sort of settled in I started to really think about like, what is it that I do want to do? And I thought that I wanted to be an illustrator. So I kind of already moved away from, I'll enter the publishing industry into, I want to make illustration. Um, and what interested me about that in particular in editorial illustrations specifically is that it's kind of like, it's kind of I, in my mind, like you read a text and you, instead of writing an essay about it, you draw a picture about it. <laughs> still reflecting on the themes, you're still doing some analysis there, right? But um, now you're interpreting it visually. And, um, and then I even made a little syllabus up for myself so that I could motivate myself to do work. I like, so oh, wow. I did, I can't, I'm such a nerd. So I <laughs> projects, I told my friend that I would have to pay him if I didn't complete them on time. What were some of these projects that you were assigning for yourself? 
they were just they were kind of just fun illustration exercises right so one yeah. was um i remember that one was taking like a typographic approach to illustration another one was to um i don't actually remember what the parameters for this was maybe it was like take a picture and put a spin on it because i ended up making this fantastical um illustration of like a dad band singer as poseidon <laughs> i don't know how i got there but <laughs> i still have that illustration <laughs> I would love to see that. That sounds like an amazing, like, mad lib of, uh, of an assignment. It, it was. I think I mostly just wanted to try out a bunch of different techniques in Photoshop, things that I had seen other illustrators or, or artists doing. Um, like, I loved, at the time, I was in love with James Jean's work, and he's all about just these, these beautiful color combinations. He still is. Um, you yeah. know, he's really a palette. Um, so I, yeah, so I was just trying to, and trying to test these things out. Um, yeah, and I was, all, I think it was also a way for me to start to um, sort of synthesize the, the artists I was really drawn to at the time. So James Jean being one, Jillian Tamaki being another, um, and, and also um, Mike Manola's Hellboy comics, the ones that he specifically drew. Like I loved yeah. that kind of rocky look to all of the characters and all of that kind of open space. It was only later when I I went to a lecture um, by someone who wrote extensively on Hellboy, <laughs> but he just broke down exactly why I love it. And I, I hadn't quite been able to pinpoint it, but Manola does a wonderful thing in those comics where he, um, he, he kind of slows down time a lot, right? Like yeah. penalty. He's not afraid of having just a ton of open negative space around Hellboy, like frozen in midair. He's not afraid of um, doing that. I can't remember the term that Scott McCaud uses for this, but the um, looking at different aspects of just a single space so that you're not sure if time is passing or not. Like, I, I think that those are really, yeah, beautiful things about the comic. Yeah, and as you're mentioning, like overlapping panels and and mouse being different time periods, like the the way he handles space and creating this atmosphere through the layering of panels, and also just playing with negative spaces, uh, is incredible. Yeah, I think about that a lot as well. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever we start our Hellboy podcast, we can talk more about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you let me know when you're ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's an, a, a really interesting set of like influences to be looking at for your work. I mean, and I, I think it's funny because I sometimes I I sort of forget a little bit about them. And yeah. then when I look at their work again, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I think those, yeah, they're, they're so, they're so different from each other as well. Um, and, but I, I can still sort of trace some of my interests back to them, um, and back to their work. And yeah, I, I guess I, that, that five-year period where you're kind of building out what you want to be doing and almost like 
constructing a prototype for yourself of how you want to be after after grad school like I had a similar time period in between undergrad and grad school and that is like a very short long time yeah and I agree like when you're in it it feels like this like expansive space and then when you're looking back at it it's like yeah everything is just like hyper condensed yeah um so that, that is really fascinating and um, I think okay well, I, I think actually the time was really helpful to me and and also just working in, in the art history department and getting to kind of see a little bit behind the scenes of, of academia and apply and like graduate applications, graduate program applications. Um, and if anything, I think that that prepared me best. <laughs> yeah, me. that's like an amazing window to have in the, in the whole process. Yeah, it was like, oh, so that's how I'm supposed to write a statement. That's what I'm supposed to highlight. I should definitely be name dropping and be as specific as possible about what I think my interests are. <laughs> um, yeah. When, yeah. You, when you did the, uh, the class at Sputnik, was that your first uh, work with printmaking? I had also taken an a kind of like intro to screen printing. And okay. So those were, but that was the first time I had done either of those things. Those were not things that that we had available to us in the tiny committee slash department um, for visual arts. And I, I was interested in screen printing. I, I had seen, I mean, I was kind of in love with gig posters. I was looking yeah. at a lot especially Sonnen Zimmer's work. Um, I mean, they just make such beautiful, such beautiful poster art, um, screen printing art. And I, I ended up, I especially loved the way that you build up the layers in a screen print, um, yeah. and print in general. But, <laughs> but this idea too, that if you stripped away a couple of layers of color um, or details, I was even, I was almost more interested in the sort of abstract forms you get from each individual screen. Mm -hmm. uh, I still think that that's much closer to the kind of drawing that I, that I enjoy doing the most and that I find the most evocative. Um, but yeah, that, and I really love um, woodcuts. I haven't done one in a long time, but it's so satisfying to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hope you get to do that soon. Yeah, I actually have been, I've had this project in the back of my mind for a long time, but to do a, a book that's illustrated with woodcut, it's obviously, it's, 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 um, it would be a huge endeavor. And uh, I've had like the outline of it in my, I've had the outline of it in my notes for, for like probably three years. <laughs> Um, I think it's a little intimidating, but I also know I would absolutely love putting it together. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, please let me know when you start working on that. I'd love to see that develop. I have to talk about it too, so that people know about it and I'll actually be accountable. <laughs> yeah. This is just like a reinvention of your, of your own syllabus. So <laughs> exactly. for every year that you don't work on this, you have to pay me money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mowing you we can start yeah. we'll <laughs> um in return i'll just send you uh 
images from Hellboy specific panels. No, that's very fair. <laughs> for, for encouragement. <laughs> Pretty motivating. When you went to SAIC for your MFA, which I'm assuming is in graphic design, and when you were there, do you have access to a print studio or were you able to build your interest in printmaking? Because uh, I assume that your, that your history then with woodblock and with screen printing uh, informed your practice in graphic design. Yeah, so, so SAIC is pretty, um, it's pretty open, right? You, as a grad student, visual communication was my home base, was my department. My, most of my advisors were, were there and I, I took a bunch of classes there and I TA'd for, for, for faculty. But I also um, was able to take classes in print media, in the print media department, which I did. And the fibers and material studies department. Um, Beth Hetland was teaching a class on, and I think she still does, where you, it, it was comics, um, it was comics related, and you also would be able to screen print on on fabrics. <laughs> oh wow! And I was really, um, yeah, I loved that class. I, I learned a lot, I, a lot, a lot there. Um, and I also got to use all this beautiful equipment. <laughs> um, so I had the opportunity also to take uh, Nyanga Hyun's um, artist book class in the print media department. And that's really where I learned to do much more sort of technical and exacting um, book forms. Um, and I also took um, um, woodcut in class, in a woodcut class as well. Um, so yeah, so I was able to to really keep exploring those interests for myself. That's great. So I'm assuming that also helped provide some opportunities for you to be working towards kind of like what I'm familiar with your work, like combining book arts and zines into this uh, weird hybrid structure. Yeah, um, yeah. I I know my. I feel like my work sits, some of my work can sit in a little bit of a funny place where it is a zine, it is a comic, but it's, it's also kind of not, or it, it's also kind of, I see, where is the line between artist book and zine? This is a question that I yeah. <laughs> spent a little bit of time thinking on. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you answer that? Because I get asked that all the time as well. I'm yeah. curious as to what your thoughts are. Ultimately, I land on calling my work poetry comics. Um, I think yeah. it's sort of the most open-ended. And when I use the word poetry, people already have an idea that um, it's not necessarily gonna be something that they would expect to see in a comic, right? Um, and I think I, I think it's important for, for my work because I really do pay attention to that relationship between text and image that I think is more particular to comics. Um, and this, not to, and not to say that it's not um, critical also when you're putting together any, any publication, right? Yeah. But I think comics, the way that they complete each other is especially important. Um, and the way that they, the way that you might sequence images within images or, or several images on a page, that's not necessarily something that you are doing in other, in other book, um, kind of book forms or approaches to bookmaking. So 
so I, I do think of my work as being comics. <laughs> yeah. But I think a, the poetry comics like term, I think is a really good one for you. And I was also wondering, like, as you were kind of uh, having a more like solid idea of what you were doing, if you had, if you, if there were people that you're looking at as like models for how your work can develop, because there is like a field of poetry comics. I didn't know if there are people that you saw where you're like, oh, this makes more sense. Like this is a way to think about what I'm doing. So I, did I really come across things that I, I guess I did. I, I was seeing it in at like cake, right? Um, yeah. Just the occasional, sometimes some works just felt more poetic to me because of the writing. But then there were there were even there was sort of a smaller subset of people who had these vague illustrations where you couldn't quite tell what they might be of sometimes and they were really interested in like the texture and the mark making and then they juxtaposed it with this handwritten writing that um, also was a little bit more gestural and I think those were the artists that was the work I was really gravitating toward. Um, I, the one artist that is really jumping to mind right now is Jonathan Wolf. Um, and I, I don't know if, I haven't seen any of his work lately. Of course, it's also been pandemic year. <laughs> and I have, I have been trying to, to stay away from Instagram. Um, I think <laughs> I got to a point where I hit like saturation and couldn't do it. Um, which also has the unfortunate side effect of meaning that I, of being that I'm, I'm out of touch with like what's been going on. <laughs> in other artists' practices. <laughs> I think that's totally okay. <laughs> Never feel bad about stepping away from social media or Instagram. <laughs> um, but I think Mice, maybe two or three years ago at Mice, um, Hillary Shute was moderating a panel on, it might even have been called Poetry Comics. And that's maybe the first time that I really heard people use that term. I hadn't I hadn't really thought of it. Um, yeah. And I attended it and I think it was Madeline Witt, um, who, who I, whom I know got married recently and I think her, she has changed her last name. Um, but she, she's, she said something great, which was that, um, you know, she, she says poetry comics so that people don't feel so bad about like looking at her work politely and then like putting it back down. <laughs> and, I, and in my mind, she's the person who has coined the term, even if that's not true. <laughs> even if she might have heard it from someone else, she's the person I always attribute it to. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so you've, and you've shown at, at Cake and other like art book fairs and like zine shows and comic shows. Um, so again, like just having a practice where you can bridge all these kind of different worlds is really fascinating. And in some, like in, there is a Venn diagram there, but some of those circles are like not very overlapped. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, so I, 
I, in my mind, it's co it's fairly cohesive. I guess it's because I'm the uni I'm like the unifying point for all of the things that I'm doing anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I I have I had done like a couple of fairs, um, like comics fairs, while I was in grad school and just after. And then I kind of needed a, I had that sort of period of time where I I couldn't figure I hadn't figured out how to keep working and also yeah. have a job um I think that's like a weird tricky thing that 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 no one tells you <laughs> you have to be prepared to like create your own structure and um and it took me a little while to figure out how to do that and then I realized that the way that I could do that was um to create deadlines for myself and the deadlines would be these fairs yeah. <laughs> and that it worked it it honestly worked I was so determined to have like a new thing at every event that I was going to go to um and then I and so I, I did a couple more fairs the following year and then I was like you know what I think I had met a couple of people Nat Nat Anderson who makes really beautiful risograph prints um and I was I was chatting with her and basically just like fawning over her work and yeah. well, how's everything going right um and she happened to say that she had she had done so many of these shows that year she this was like her 12th one I think it was the fall <laughs> and I was like wow that's incredible and in my mind I was like is everybody doing this so <laughs> <laughs> so the following year I decided I was going to go for it. I was going to go ahead and try and do as many shows as I could. And I think that year I did eight, wow. eight or nine shows. And I will never do that many again in my life. That's and a lot. In, in fact, at one of those shows, I, I met her again. Um, and I was the same, like, how are you doing? And she was like, oh man, last year I was so exhausted. I don't know why I did that many shows. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so it was, it was an experience. I was glad that I got to, to meet all of these different people. And I think from, from my work too, anyway, it feels more, um, I, I, I really enjoy being able to talk with people about, um, about comics and <laughs> about zines and about bookmaking and, yeah. uh, and I, and I think that that has it has it had become a pretty critical part of of just how I how I see my practice and, and what I think of that as being is is also just interacting with people and talking with them about this stuff. Um, and then, of course, with the pandemic, suddenly that was all gone. <laughs> in, in a, yeah, I mean, in a way, right, like, of course, yeah. I still interact with some folks virtually, but it just wasn't quite the same. And I think um, I don't know how how you handled the transition to teaching online, but Not well. it, was, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a real um, challenge to put it gently. <laughs> and I just was ready to interface with more people in that way. Yeah, well, that was gonna be my follow-up question is if you participated in any of the like online or virtual fairs. Um, I yeah, I, I, 
I did the participation of, I think it was, I was so excited. I was so bummed out. I mean, I, I know there are a lot of like reasons to be upset about the pandemic and this is a pretty petty one, but I had finally gotten into the LA Art Book Fair. Oh. <laughs> I was so excited to go. Um, but I, I think I just, I, maybe I'm too old. <laughs> I can't do virtual stuff. I like don't have the energy for it. I don't have the like wherewithal to navigate it. It's just not my forte. I ended up um, doing a couple of online events that were like on Instagram Live, which I don't, I can barely even tell you what Instagram Live is. <laughs> like that's where I am. I've hit that point. <laughs> came, it came earlier than I expected in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well i hope at the next whenever they do have the LAR book fair again i hope that you are, that you are able to go i hope so too I, I would still love to do it it seems like a wild time from what i've heard yeah i i was also very bummed when like at the time i was glad they canceled it because that was like right when everything was becoming very very serious um but yeah i i am Sorry for the opportunity or to, for the missed opportunity to see everyone there and to go to that fair. Yeah, and I, the, it's so international. I mean, there are people there that I would never get a chance to to see these books in person. Um, yeah, being exorbitant amounts of shipping. So, <laughs> um, so it was it was really it was exciting. It was exciting at the time, and I'm I'm excited for the day when it's safe to do that again. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and Chicago is just such a huge, uh, it's another like big location for all these fairs and like specifically with, with comics, which is something that I think is so wonderful for, for you to have that community there. So that there's not a big comics community in New York or in LA or even in like in DC where I'm at, where, where I am not, I am when I'm not in Korea. <laughs> Um, but Chicago's comics community seems to be very particular. It's very big. robust. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's robust. I think it's, I think, um, and it's so, it's so welcoming and, and you would see like all kinds of events related to comics um, or to zines, um, whether it's like readings or, or making them or, um, yeah, I mean, we've got like Quimby's down here, which is a fantastic bookstore. Um, but I do, I do feel like the arts community in Chicago has always been very warm um, and, and just have, there's a lot of resources here, right? Like, I'm so grateful that I, that I knew about Sudnik Press, that I could like learn to, that I could take classes there. Um, and, and that I've gotten to meet so many people who make comics. Um, yeah. Make all kinds, right? Like, not just, not just one particular maybe subgenre or one particular style but who really i think are experimenting with the form and have been experimenting with the form for as long as cake has been around and i've been going to it whether you know attending it or, or exhibiting at it it's also really wonderful for your students to see too uh, because they have like you as a resource who has this incredible like background in in the medium and in like cross-pollinating different mediums but being in a city that has just so many different models for how comics can be. Yeah. Uh, it must be wonderful to be working with them. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, being able to point them to, to specific places where they can, or like point them to, to kind of to works that they could look at. Um, like I, I have my own kind of personal library of stuff that I constantly bring into them that I've just accumulated. And some of it is from Quimby's and some of it is from mm -hmm. shows just to give them a taste of like what exactly is out there. And if they spent a couple of hours just bouncing from comic shop to comic shop, they'll be able to find the stuff that's really like great kind of exciting storytelling. Um, and, and also, you know, I, I think the idea that they could make something in the class and then addition it and then sell it through Quimby's or like yeah. sell it is also really satisfying and really exciting, I think. Like I, I think of how how much of a like a, a good feeling it was to be able to do that the first time, right? When I like brought my books and I was like, here's the prices. Let me sign the consignment contract. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're putting your work out there. Um, so I, I have like a bit of a running list that I, I've been sharing with um, with my students when they when they ask and as long as I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, there's also, because I am keeping an eye on the time as well, but there's a few uh, things I wanted to touch on more specifically with your, with your own work and some of your own, uh, your own themes. Um, and to get started, I do just want to ask you more specifically about Kate Blanchett. <laughs> That, yeah, I, I, um, I think with the Kate Blanchett book, <laughs> <laughs> she, it's a, it's a book that it uses her name and sort of uses her likeness. Like I had done some pretty heavy photo manipulation. I avoid illustrating her face, you know, even when she's a character, um, an actual character in a panel. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want it to be like, so concrete. There's also the idea that whatever I draw will just be a shadow of whatever magical creature I'm trying to, <laughs> to conjure here. But I think I I think she just I was I was drawn to her for this book because she is this strange, nebulous figure, right? As an actress, she's played Bob Dylan. She's got um, this film where she's like a different type of character every every cut or every other cut. I think it's called yeah. Manifest. Um, and she also has this sort of ethereal statuesque quality to her. And she looks phenomenal in a suit. So she's, she's, she inhabits this kind of space where, and I think this is, this is of course true of like any good actor to an extent where she has the potential to become anybody. And I, it felt that's really what I wanted to get at in that book was this idea of exploring um, kind of the multifarious identity or the possibility of, of becoming or transforming your own interior world so that it could be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't ever have to just be one story. Um, and so that's what that that's what the sort of larger pages of that really does is it bounces around telling all of these like cosmogenesis sort of stories around Kate yeah. <laughs> without ever 
struggling on one. Um, and I loved mythology as a kid too. And I grew up Catholic, even if I'm not that Catholic now. And, <laughs> and so, so the language of that and the, the kind of repeated structure of, um, of certain kinds of myths across different cultures too um, was something that I was interested in. Um, and that I, I was I was exploring through through that book. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> love that book. And it's something where like, so I, I picked it up from you in Chicago in 2019. Which feels like years and years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, I want to say like, oh, I've shown it to like several classes of mine. And I have, but also like the reality is that the next month was 2020, which means that I had like two <laughs> classes to show that book to. <laughs> but it's just been uh, in my mind so much because I've actually just shown it to so many people or like talked about it. And I really yeah. love how you handled uh, the design of it and incorporating so many different layers to the narrative and to the book itself. And we're like describing this as a structure. It is like a larger pamphlet that is sewn with a mini pamphlet inside of it and an even smaller pamphlet still on the outside of it that itself unfolds in, uh, in a surprising way. Yeah, I mean, it, in a way it's also the sort of, the, the pamphlets on the outside, the one at the beginning is this invented language to talk about Kate Blanchett, which is another thing that I, that I, I'm always interested in is how do we how do we find the words to express things that are so deeply personal or even in a way inaccessible to ourselves. Um, yeah. And so, so I was kind of playing around with that and creating these these almost like pictographs and creating definitions for them. Um, and then you so okay so now you've got the language at the start of this story. And then you go into this larger pamphlet, and now you are understanding where all of what all of that language might be referring to, right? And so there's like a little bit of reference to some of it built in, and it becomes much more, it's much more fantastical in the larger pamphlet. It's the largest because it is the like creation of a universe in a sense. Yeah. And then the smaller pamphlet at the very center, I wanted it to be a disruption of the of the larger story to become something that was much more personal. So the reader has to turn the whole book and basically put themselves in a com completely different orientation um, in order to, to continue reading. Yeah. So they've stepped out of this cosmogenic, <laughs> this cosmogenic, um, this like mythological kind of story into something that is about a, a single person's search for a kind of answer um, to this major sort of like milestone in their life, right? They're at this, they're at this point in a relationship where they don't necessarily know if they should stay in the relationship, but then who they would e even be without that relationship. And yeah. so they're wandering, and at a certain point, there's a moment of collapse for them. And then they see Kate Blanchett, <laughs> never referred to by name. And hopefully the reader still has this magical sense of, of who she is. And so does this character. 
Um, but Kate Blanchett starts out by looking like a colossus in the distance and then gradually becomes more kind of human-sized, says a couple of vague things, and um, but that but that encounter is enough. And I think I think it's it's again this this sort of reference to the things that we don't necessarily know how to put into words, um, but that but that can really define us um, or help us figure out figure out what we need to figure out <laughs> in a critical moment. Um, okay, so then we return to the mythology, to this myth-making. And at the very end, you know, as happens to like all mythological creatures, there's a mini museum, like a mini museum in a book. And it's just the artifacts um, of Kate Blanchett. And that was that was it. That was the whole thing. I can't remember like how I put this together. <laughs> but I knew I wanted this multifaceted approach to because I think it has to be. I think that if you're going to explore a figure that you're trying to describe as being something that's that's not ever any one thing, like anyone could be, then yeah. it needs to be multifaceted. And of course it needs to to approach it from all of these different angles to start to get a sense of the sort of like shape of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I love how you describe Kate Blanchett as like a trickster god. Um, and I think that uh, like just what you said, having to approach it from multiple, multiple angles and trying to get like a three-dimensional shape or a four-dimensional shape if possible, like how is this character moving through time through like a series of two-dimensional surfaces yeah. your approach to language like written language creating a set of symbols that can not necessarily be a cipher but a language for right. Kate Blanchett and then establishing a visual language that is at points like very abstract in the mythology that you're building where pages are like swirls and like kind of cloud shapes um, and it allows for the language to be opened up and like complicated uh, because so much of it is like for this figure to take shape you need to open space for it yeah you need to embrace the ambiguities in order to kind of get a sense of of what they are pointing to like it is a really it's a really gestural piece like it's yeah. it's never about trying to pinpoint a single kind of true Kate Blanchett or or true person it's 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 about the kind of difficulty that we would ever have doing that with 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 people or um yeah or, or within our own or with our own identities yeah and i was thinking about this and like the the ability to open up language and open up the mythology and create these borders that are or boundaries that are very fuzzy and ill-defined just so there can be some boundaries known um I remember like looking through the, this book and thinking like, oh, like Alex has probably read Ann Carson. Of course. And then <laughs> the other day I was looking through your website and I was like, yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's an Ann Carson book here too. I think that was my, that was like the first book I completed in grad school, really like finished the whole thing. Um, what an addition to it was this yeah. piece. Anne Carson's, um, if not winter, her translation of Sappho. Can you tell me a little uh, bit more about that book? Because I'm only familiar with it from your, from your website. Sure. Yeah. I, 
I love it. I, I bring it into class all the time. I still go back to it. Um, but so, so Sappho's poetry, there's only fragments of it that really still exist, right? There's. Um, oh, and I mean, I guess. Uh, the book. Oh, my book or Anne Yeah, Carson's yeah, I know your book. book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my book. Um, so I, it started as a project for a. I think it was a writing class, and um, I was sort of homing in on the fragments of Sappho's poetry and Carson's translation of the poetry that I found especially, um, just especially moving for one reason or another. And I was realizing that I find it really moving, not just because of Anne Carson's translation, but because she points out what's missing from the text with these brackets, right? So typographically, there are brackets anytime the paper is, is like, has been torn and there's nothing left to read. And then the idea of absence then as like a theme for Sappho, who's like constantly longing for one lover or another who has spurned her or who isn't interested or yeah. <laughs> whom she just misses, um, or people that she loves, the, the longing there becomes something that I think the reader ends up experiencing too, or that I was experiencing. I was longing for the words that weren't there. You know, I had that sense of something that was missing. And I was really, I loved the way that that converged um, because of Carson's decision to, to create those brackets, um, to point out the missing pieces. Um, and, and I, yeah, I, it's, it's again that way that a book design or a book form can blur the line between what's on the page and what you're experiencing as the reader. And I mean, you don't necessarily, it can be a straightforward book design that does that too, if you've got a really good piece of fiction, of course, but like, yeah. or a piece of writing, but um, the way that the visual plays into that, I think. Um, so it's a reason I love that. And that's what I ended up focusing on in this book was I would show, I thought about how that is kind of what gutters can do too in a comic. The space yeah. between panels is this, is this absence. And we don't know, we don't necessarily like think about it, right? Especially something that's action packed. Our brain is just, um, it's just kind of filling it in or it's adjusting to it, however you want to see it. Um, but then what happens if I actually point out the, the kind of space around this text, the, the things that we don't see by creating these drawings that are fragmented or where there is only one or two panels on this massive page. Um, so that's what the original drawings looked like. And then when I turned it into a zine, um, into a comic, I, I, I did still embrace that kind of space. And I used a paper that was a little bit thinner. It doesn't come across on the website, but I use a paper that's a little bit thinner so that you get a trace of what is on the next page, um, just barely visible there. So again, that kind of suggestion of something that used to be there, um, that I think is just really the, the powerful part of Carson's book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. I I've really enjoyed Anne Carson for a while. And I think that like for me reading Eros, The Bittersweet and her discussion of vowels as these like opening up of spaces in the 
inside words uh, is something that I've been thinking about since I've I've read that. And I have I haven't read that. Definitely do. I, I, think, <laughs> it, I think it relates, you know, to everything that we've been talking about. Um, but also, I was thinking of like the that fragmentation of images and the way that you're talking about it in this book does relate also to how you're talking about your interest in screen printing and the idea of like dropping out layers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like the absence of a color field or a uh, layer is something that gets you a little bit closer to some of the more like abstraction of shapes and forms that you want to be approaching in, in some of the work. Yeah, definitely. Um, there, yeah, there, I mean, I think there are actually pretty clear through lines um, in the things that I am interested in and the things that I do. And that is one of them. It is, for me, it is about stripping down a story to its kind of barest essentials and gestures, because that's when you leave the most room for a reader to insert themselves in there, to, to kind of feel out what they think this is and to, and to do the work of imagining. Like I, I think when you, when you get people to engage in reading on that level, where it's almost like they're participating in making the story, um, it, it's, it's just, it's magical. <laughs> it's so corny, but it's magical. <laughs> no, it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really wonderful. Uh, so Alex, you have a show coming up as well. Like you're, you're getting ready for an exhibition. <laughs> I am, yeah. Folks are more than welcome to check it out. I, it's ten, I think at this point it's scheduled to come out on, to open on July 3rd. Um, and there will be a small reception, TBD. And also I'll be doing two one or two workshops. We're still settling these details, oh, cool. but I'll be doing one or two workshops that will that will be hopefully in person, but also available to to participate virtually. Again, don't take my word for this. <laughs> if yeah, if 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 folks are interested, uh, then I think checking out the Co Prosperity Sphere website. Um, they will have all the details when those are finalized. But I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and um, how is the work going for it? Or can you tell us anything about what you're putting together for the, for the show? Oh, I will try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know what I'm doing, but I, um, you know, again, I love a little bit of ambiguity. So yeah. I'm even, I've even been sort of debating with myself how much I want to explain. Um, but it is an installation piece that's going to be on the windows of the of the co-prosperity sphere of this kind of experimental um, art and culture community center. Um, and it is going to be um, sort of a comic about the ways that even <laughs> even if you, even if a person isn't physically present in your life, they can still have a kind of presence. Um, and how that's something that um, with my family being really scattered as we are, um, I have relatives who are in Europe and I have relatives in New York. Um, 
and in California, even despite those distances, you can still feel connected. And sometimes even in slightly supernatural ways. <laughs> My mom is always claiming to have a kind of sixth sense about how people are doing. If she has a bad, an inexplicable bad feeling and someone pops into her head, she wants to check on them. Um, so it's a little bit about that too, I think. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Alex, thank you so much for spending some time talking with me about about your work and your and your history. Uh, <laughs> this has been great. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about the show whenever it whenever it opens. Um, and I'll be eagerly awaiting any any new books.